This is Gareth Southgate and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello there and welcome to episode 22 of the Three Lions podcast. My name's Russell Osborne. Well, here we are in June. The countdown is well and truly on. But it's not just World Cup fever that is approaching. For some, there are other important trophies to be won. Keep listening for that. Episode 21 is still available. What an insight that was to the Three Lions fanzine Kevin Miles gave us. If you are on your way to Russia later this month, say hi to those guys. Tell them what a great job they do. Their World Cup guide is out now. You can find all the details on their Twitter pages. Mine has come through the post. Excellent read. Thank you for that. Now, coming up, we refresh ourselves with the under-17s. We talk Nigeria and Costa Rica. But first... So the 23 have been announced. On the 16th of May, Gareth Southgate revealed his men for Russia. I would have spoken about this earlier, but I've been away. The day before, on the 15th, it was leaked out that Joe Hart and Jack Wilshere would be left behind. Now this was undoubtedly Gareth Southgate's hardest decision to make in his time as England manager. And it's safe to say he's gone for youth rather than experience. And I say that, meaning 14 only have tournament experience and only five have World Cup experience. The squad is broken down like this. We've got three goalkeepers, nine defenders, six midfielders, and five forwards. And it's represented from five from Tottenham, four from both Manchester clubs, two from Leicester, Chelsea and Liverpool, and Arsenal, Stoke, Everton and Burnley provide one player. At the time of recording this, it was a squad that had a combined cap amount of 449, 55 international goals and an average age of 25.4. Manager Gareth Southgate has said, I believe this is a squad we can be excited about. It's a young group, but with some really important senior players. So I feel the balance of the squad is good, both in terms of its experience, its character and also the positional balance. Now that squad is in goal, Jack Butland, Jordan Pickford and Nick Pope. Our defenders, Trent Alexander-Arnold from Liverpool, Gary Cahill, Carl Walker, John Stones, Harry Maguire, Kieran Trippier, Danny Rose, Phil Jones and Ashley Young. In midfield, Eric Dyer, Deli Alley, Jesse Lingard, Jordan Henderson, Fabian Delph and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And up front, Jamie Vardy, Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, Danny Welbeck and Harry Kane. And on standby include Burnley's Tom Heaton and James Towoski, Bournemouth's Lewis Cook, Jake Livermore from West Brom and Liverpool's Adam Lallana. Other players that can consider themselves unlucky include Jamal Luscasells, Michael Keane, Ryan Bertrand, John Joe Shelby and Tammy Abraham. And as I've said before, I think not taking Joe Hart is a mistake. He played in all but one of the qualifiers. He only conceded three. Whilst I think we can all agree he's not going to be number one, he does bring that wealth of experience off the field, you know, in those boring times. I'm not against youth, 
Far from it. Look what it's achieved in the past few years. But I think having an elder statesman like Joe around does no harm. Would have probably retired afterwards anyway. And only Gary Cahill comes close to him with his 58 caps to Joe's 75. Anyway, the choices have been made. Gareth Southgate, you have my trust. And now it's time for all of us to get behind you and your players. Now, speaking of which, I may have been out of the country, but even I haven't escaped the Raheem Sterling story. Whatever you may think of the significance of the tattoo, the way our media have targeted him is appalling. This happens every two years, be it a World Cup or a Euros. The way our paper journalists turn on our national team is nothing short of embarrassing. I'm sure many of you will already have seen it, but there is an amazing Twitter thread by at Adam Keyworth who has listed up to 20 times our own front and back pages, have targeted Raheem Sterling for a variety of non-football-related issues. I must admit to being frustrated by Sterling at times for England on the pitch, but this is so far over the line by our media, it's almost boycott stuff for me. can't imagine how Raheem Sterling actually feels. He's 23 years old. 23! Being bullied by so-called journalists who sit behind a laptop probably more than double his age, just digging dirt for a paycheck. Doesn't sit well with me, that one. You watch. He scores the winner against Tunisia. They'll be all over him. Two-faced lot. So Saturday just gone, England played their final Wembley game before heading off to Russia against the Nigerian Super Eagles. I'm going to gloss over this slightly, mainly for the fact that I didn't see it. But I've seen the highlights and the goals and the starting lineup, which was pretty much what I was thinking may resemble the starting eleven that starts against Tunisia on the 18th of June. Thumping early headed by Gary Cahill, wasn't it? And a shot from captain Harry Kane just before half-time before Nigeria pulled one back just after the break. We are still a little bit susceptible at the back, aren't we? For those that needed reminding, it was Pickford in goal, Walker, Stones, Cahill, Dyer, Trippier, Lingard, Alley, Young, Kane and Sterling. Now I'd expect a similar lineup against Costa Rica. Maybe a few tweaks here and there. Vardy getting an outing, perhaps Butland too. Of course, a win is a win and will build confidence but the main priority, of course, is Russia. A few quotes on our Facebook page. Colin Walker won't win anything with this team. Nothing there at all to inspire you. Mike Wilson, not saying we're going to win the World Cup or anything, but it is only a friendly to keep the squad game fresh. I mean, will people write Germany off just because they lost to Austria? No, they won't. So welcome to the Three Lions podcast. Through the power of the Costa Rican embassy in London, I've managed to pull together uh, a Costa Rican correspondent, a Costa Rican voice to give us a preview of the game at Elland Road later this month. So muchas gracias to those guys. <laughs> and I'd like to welcome Alfredo Ace. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Russell. Thank you for having me uh, today. You're welcome. You're, you're Costa Rican. I am made and born in Costa Rica, yes. I've never been to Costa Rica, and, and this isn't a travel show, but 
But whereabouts in Costa Rica do you originate from and what's Costa Rica like? Yeah, so it's very interesting, right? Because Costa Rica is very um it's very famous for a couple of things. First is the whole tourism, ecotourism thing. It's a lot of green, a green country, so you will find very nice beaches. We have, you know, the Caribbean coast and the Pacific coast. So we are very fortunate to have actually two nice coast beaches. Also volcanoes. So we have like seven volcanoes and like two active volcanoes at the moment. So you can, you know, hang out with your friends, do some camping and you will see the volcanoes there. I love my country. You know, I have, you know, <laughs> I just think it's a great country to be in. There is this saying that we have in Costa Rica about Pura Vida. It's full translation is pure life. But it really, what it really means is that everything is like cool. Everything is okay. You will find that Pura Vida when you talk with Costa Ricans a lot. Like everything is, it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very relaxing kind of type of um, living down there. So, um, yeah. Sounds beautiful. Uh, Sounds like yeah. somewhere I should go to at some stage. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. You are more than welcome to get there and have you have you there one of those days, yeah. Well, we've got the game coming up um, on Thursday, the 7th of June. It's it's England against Los Ticos, isn't it? It's Costa yeah. Rica. Los Ticos. Yeah, that's what we are uh, known for, Los Ticos, yeah. <laughs> what is Los Ticos? Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting story there. So what happens with Costa Ricans, we use... Let me try to let me try to explain. Like we try to uh, say little words. Like when you say little in English, you will say very little. Right. In Spanish, you will say poquitito. That means very little. Right. But in Costa Rica, we try to instead of say poquitito, we start switching to poquitico. So all those words, uh, when we try to say it like in little terms, everything ends in tico, como cositica poquitico, auritica. Uh -huh. So the people that came to our country found that kind of interesting. Like, why is it that we always uh, ended up saying the words in the tico thing, right? Which for us means like everything is like little, like uh, just, just a little bit of something. So that's how we ended up uh, being named as, as ticos. Ah, uh, it's, it's an education, this podcast. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk football. Let's talk football. Yeah, yeah, of um, course. So the game coming up, it's a uh, it's obviously a warm up game for you guys as well for the the World Cup. What what are you expecting to for the game against England? Yeah, I was looking at the uh, final list of uh, players for Costa Rica. So we already have the twenty three lucky guys. So these warm ups are so misleading sometimes. You know, we are just about to start the World Cup, and you have these expectations of your team. And and these friendly games can energize you or can put you in a in you know like demotivate you right. Yeah. So to be honest, these these games for me, it's good for 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 these guys to to come together to try some tactics. But I don't know at the end of at the end of the day, it will not mean a lot to me. The real the real thing starts on June in the World Cup, right? Just a little bit story there, Russell, in our first uh, World Cup in Italy. I was mentioning that to you offline. We did a terrible friend list before coming to the World Cup, right? Okay. Um, and everybody was like, we were, we were going to like really do a, a, a terrible presentation. And we ended up progressing in that World Cup, right? 
so again, right, you, you never know what is going to happen with these friendlies. I just hope that the guys enjoy the game, get to know them better, try to do some tactics in preparation for the World Cup. But that's that's about it, right? You know, um, it's very hard to get out of these friendlies a lot of things, to be honest, in my opinion. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I understand what, what you're saying. Um, well, I mean, what's the squad has been announced for you guys. Who, who's in there that we may know? Yeah, of course. So obviously, obviously the uh, the goalkeeper Kaylor Navas, he did a great presentation in Brazil. He was uh, the goalkeeper of Levante at that moment, and because of his performance in Brazil, he was obviously everybody knows. I hope everybody knows that he's the goalkeeper of Real Madrid at the moment. I imagine many people probably know him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's kind of our, you know, big name in the team. He's a great footballer. I think he brings not only like his skills as a goalkeeper, but as a, as a person, as a leader. I okay. think he will play mentally. He will play a great amount of deal in this team, this this World Cup. Um, he brings a lot of experience with Real Madrid. So definitely, Keylor Navas is someone to to look after. The other guy, and you were mentioning this other guy also offline, is a Brian Reese. Mm. He's our uh, captain. He was our captain in Brazil as well. Obviously, he played a couple of uh, years in Fulham, as you said, and then he's now uh, playing in Sporting Lisboa in Portugal. That's right. Yes. Uh, very good skills. Uh, he's a left left uh, player. Very creative uh, guy. I don't, I think he lacks a little bit of character when it comes to rally the team. That's where Keylor Navarro uh, can help him in in creating these. Um, mood in the team to go after right uh, brian reese is a more quiet type of character uh but there is a reason why he's the captain right he plays in the midfielder i think people you know hear what he has to say when it comes to to go and and play at the pitch right so definitely brian other names yeah. that uh, we we've heard of i know with um joe campbell former yeah. arsenal player he's over at betis at the moment in la liga yeah yeah so um so let, let me let me just touch on on John John Campbell uh, Russell because I love this guy I love and again this is obviously a Costa Rican fan talking about the players right yeah. so you will you will get a lot of excitement but you know to be honest Joel Campbell I really like this guy I think he has great natural skills he's very talented uh, he plays like a winger right on the sidelines attacking sidelines. And and I love the way he uh, goes to the box. He tries to do some sort of tricks, dribblings, and and shoot to the to the to the goalkeeper. In my view, Joel Campbell, if he gets a good manager and if the manager really understands his skills, we can get a lot of this guy. Definitely, he's a young young lad, very skillful. He did a great. He scored a great goal in our first presentation in Uruguay. Uh, when we beat them 3-1. Three, three, and I think this is one of the guys in the uh, attacking formation that can good that can give us a lot of good surprises in the World Cup, Joel Campbell. You touched on the World Cup there last time in Brazil. What happened there? That that must have been that must have been amazing back in Costa Rica. It's you know unbelievable, Russell. I mean, you mean it's like it's like a dream. It was like a dream. Everybody was like, you know, even when you look at the at the groups, right? We were competing against three former World Cup champions, you know. So for me, it was like 
given that group for me it was okay just to try our best and when we start winning with uruguay which we did a great game then we beat italy and then we uh, drew against england right it was unbelievable it's just a feeling of happiness mm-hmm. <laughs> and amazing right is is um what what a surprise what a, what a world cup to be honest unbelievable so much joy so much happiness in costa rica i mean every all the country was stopped right when when uh, these these games are there right everybody's just like in the game so everything stops in costa rica it, so do you think what what's the feeling like in Costa Rica at the moment because the the draw is tough on you for this World Cup isn't it you've got Serbia, Brazil and Switzerland yeah. how do you yeah. see it going this year So in the paper it looks accessible compared to Brazil but when i say in the paper is that kind of going back to my point right the World Cup it's it's a different story right you can get with high expectations with a team and that team can be like completely not as, as plain as expected and you can come also with some low expectations and your team can surprise you right so it's very hard for me it's very hard to tell you yeah we're going to just proceed or we're not going to make it in the paper based on our performance in brazil we should be able to go through i do have some sort of um doubts on the tactics for for this world cup because of our manager right in brazil we used to have the colombian manager Jose Luis Pinto, I think he set up very good shape. He combined our Costa Rican skills with some very good tactics and discipline. This time around, I think we are lacking that discipline and that tactics that we need in a World Cup. So we do have still the skills because if you look at the list of uh, players, pretty much 80% are the players that were in Brazil last round. I think what we are lacking this time is a little bit of discipline and tactics. You touched upon the manager there. I didn't realize that your current manager actually played back in 1990. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a midfielder, um, uh, Oscar Ramirez. Very good player. I was 17 years old when these guys were playing in, in Italy. I love watching and playing football. And when I saw this guy, Oscar Ramirez, playing, I can tell you this is a, a guy that has very good skills as well. He played in the midfielder, very smart guy. So, yeah, he, he did a very good... Uh, Italy World Cup. What strikes me a little bit here with Oscar Ramirez is that being a midfielder, being a creative guy, I would have thought that he will create this same mentality in the team of being a little bit more of on the attacking mode. What when I see his tactics, he's more on the defensive kind of mentality, very um, careful on the results, not risking a lot, right? Yeah. Which which can be risky by itself, right? If you play too defensive, that's pretty much telling the other team to attack attack you, right? So you got to be very careful with those tactics, right? Yeah, I mean, it's his first World Cup as a manager. Um, he has only managed teams in Costa Rica. He has never managed internationally. So I think he's lacking a lot of these. There will be a lot of pressure in the World Cup, right? You know, I mean, you're, you're playing against the best teams of each confederation. The managers there are managers that has been there has a lot of experience, and you know this guy is just to be honest, it's just like um, you know kind of starting from an international perspective in in terms of managing um, internationally. Again, I wish my the best for my team, uh, but I think that's something that uh, could be some sort of weakness. So, nineteen ninety 
it was your first win happened to be against Scotland, didn't it? From a, a cheeky England perspective, um, I, I remember watching it actually as a um, as a young boy. I, I can I can even remember this particular game. Um, I watched it at my at my grandparents' house, and I, and I can remember the goal. And I watched it again on YouTube the other day, and it was it was just how how I remembered it the the great little back heel and the uh, the pass through and and the guy who swept it home. Yeah, that guy that scored is um, Juan Arnoldo Callazo. That's the guy that scored that uh, that goal. And the flick, kind of that play before that was made by uh, Claudio Jara. He made that nice, um, how do you call it, backhill type backhill. of play. Nice, nice move. I was, I also remember that game as is, it was yesterday, Russell. Um, I took. I was in high school. I took. I didn't went to to school that day. I just took the day off, <laughs> and I just I just concentrated on the game. What a memorable game was that! Our first game in a World Cup. Very nice goal and getting a win. Wonderful day for us in terms of football. Let's just reminisce for a moment as uh, <laughs> as I play that audio. Marchena coming from his back four role, uh, excursion forward for him, and he's got himself into a shooting position here, perhaps. Yara's there, and Cayasso, and Cayasso has scored, Costa Rica have taken the lead, five minutes gone in the second half. Costa Rican supporters celebrate as the masses of Scottish fans have gone silent. Lovely little back healer by Jara, and Cayasso finished off in style. So there, there we go, great piece of audio, and, and then you happened to beat Scotland again recently, didn't you? Well, it's uh, funny how things repeat again themselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> we just played. Uh, we played in in Scotland this time, and to be honest, I had my doubts because of everything that I just told you about the manager, and it was just for me a little bit weird that we won that game. Um, to be honest, that tells me a little bit of the Scottish football at the moment. Probably is not that good, to be honest. <laughs> you said that, not me. <laughs> <laughs> and I apologize if I'm like hurting feelings of people here, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to be objective. I I watched the game and we didn't, I didn't see my team, the Costa Rican team, um, threatened, to be honest. Uh, I think we played very relaxed. There was no pressure. We played three days after that against uh, Tunisia, actually, the, 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 the team that is playing against England. That's right. And we look, we look very bad against Tunisia. It's a very um, fast-paced team, Tunisia. And they have a couple of good, skilled uh, players. And yeah, we look bad. We lost that game. And I think that revealed our level, which is not good enough, in my opinion, the Costa Rican level, because Tunisia pretty much dominated the game yeah, I think Tunisia can give a hard time. <laughs> ah, you're giving us the lowdown on Tunisia now. This is great. <laughs> give us a prediction. I always will wish the best for my team. So I think we're going to win the game. Sorry for that loss that you guys are going to have in, <laughs> on, on January of 7th. It's gonna, but it, it's just going to be 1-0. Well, yeah. let's hope it's better than the, uh, the only other time we've met each other. <laughs> yeah. Alfredo, thank you very much um, for being part of the podcast. Wish you all the very best for the World Cup. Yeah, thank you. It was great to have this conversation with you, Russell. And yeah, wish England the, the best as well. Who knows, we may meet in one of their knockouts.
under-17s European Championships continued for both the Young Lions and Lionesses. We left the Young Lions as they were about to take on Norway in the quarter-final at Burton Albion on Sunday the 13th of May. Good news, they swept the Scandinavians aside with a convincing victory. Started off on 13 minutes with a Bobby Duncan header on the six-yard box. Then eight minutes into the second half, Duncan turned the provider, passing for Arsenal's Javier Amici to sweep home. England then faced the Netherlands in the semi-final, back at Chesterfield, after the Dutch had beat the Republic of Ireland in their quarter-final match on penalties. England, missing players through injury and suspension, done well in a tight match. It went the distance. Faustino Anjurin hitting the post in the first half, but neither side could break the deadlock. So after 80 minutes, no extra time, a place in the final was decided on penalties. I thought the ABBA method would have been used, but no, usual alternative method. Neither side missed, including England's goalkeeper Ashby Hammond, who also stepped up to score. Now from memory, our goalkeeper Curtis Anderson scored in a penalty shootout in India last year, so interesting to see. We've got form on that front. So it went to sudden death. The Dutch scored, then Arsenal's following Balogun had his saved, and England bowed out. But it's safe to say they have performed well over the tournament, just this time didn't go our way. Over in Lithuania, in the under-17 Girls European Championships, our young lionesses had drawn with Poland and lost to Spain. In their next game against Italy, they had to win and hope Poland don't beat Spain to progress. Tuesday, 15th of May, England v Italy. And so it turned out, the young lionesses spanked the Italians 4-0. 0 at half-time, Aston Villa's Ebony Salmon, who scored against Spain, grabbed a hat-trick here and was followed by a goal from Liverpool's Annabelle Blanchard. They progressed to the semi-final after Spain thumped Poland 5-0. So the semi-final, Friday the 18th of May. England drawn against holders Germany, who'd previously beaten the hosts Lithuania 8-0. And it would seem they're a pretty decent side, again running out 8-0 winners. So the young lionesses packed their bags and headed home. But still, a semi-final regardless. Well done, girls. And the annual Toulon tournament has been taking place in southern France. England have been winners of this for the past two years and AD Boothroyd's under-21 started with a 2-1 victory over China. Despite getting a goal down, two second-half strikes from Middlesbrough's Dale Fry and Chelsea's Tammy Abrahams, they then played out a goalless draw against Mexico before sailing past Qatar with a 4-0 win. Goals coming from Leeds' Ronaldo Vieira Yes, what a name. Uh, Tammy Abraham getting on the score sheet again and Newcastle's Adam Armstrong add to that an own goal, an all-round good result. That put them into the semi-final after finishing as best runners-up in the three-group tournament. And they'll play Scotland on the 6th of June. You may remember last year we also played Scotland in the semis and beat them 3-0 then. The same again would be great, lads. Now you'd be forgiven for thinking that there's only one major tournament this month. You'd be wrong. Here to tell us about another is joint captain of the England national blind side, Daniel English. Hello Dan. 
Hi, how are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on the on the Three Lions podcast. You are the, as I say, the, the joint captain of the the blind team. How does that feel? Yeah, it's a great honour. Um, you know, the, a lot of the disability squads are um, kind of not as well known as the men's and the women's uh, sighted team, but to be able to uh, see that you're joint captain of your country is still, you know, an brilliant achievement and um, a great honour to be able to do. And you recently, I, I saw a picture of you and we mentioned it before on a, uh, a previous podcast, over 100 caps. Yeah, that's right. Um, I got my 100th cap not long ago, um, which is obviously brilliant to get into the 100 club. And uh, now, obviously, at the age of 27, hopefully I can keep going and see how high I can get. How does it feel to to get that many that many caps? It it's um it's really like weird because I love the fact that I've got a hundred caps. Um, but I probably like any other England player would probably swap it for one gold medal or one World Cup. But you can't underestimate the feeling that you get when you tell people that you played for your country over a hundred times. Yeah. This later on this month. The IBSA Blind Football World Championships taking place in Madrid. Is this the biggest in the blind game? It is in the, uh, terms of team participation. Um, right. so we've, got, we've got 16 teams uh, coming together in June uh, competing. However, to get to that stage, each team have had to qualify um, within their, their regions. So like the, we take um, five European teams um, I think it's like a number of South American, a number from Asia. So the top top few teams from each region will go through and qualify. So it's extremely tough competition. To just refresh our refresh our memories, how how did you manage to get to to the finals? Um, so we played uh, our European Championships last year in August, which was in Berlin, and we come third in Europe, which qualified us for the World Cup this year. I see. And now you've been drawn against, if I'm right in saying, Brazil, Costa Rica and Mali. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct, yes. What What do you know about, about those guys? Are, are they are they good within the blind game? Um, Brazil's just a typical Brazil team. They're um, very good, very gifted with the ball. Um, two of their players, I believe, until they lost the sight, were in and around like the Brazilian national futsal squad um, and brought up with futsal. Okay, uh, and then Mali and Costa Rica are unknown um, enemies to us at the minute. We've never come, come across them before. Um, we know they've done a few of their regional championships, um, but they are completely new to everybody else. So it'll be interesting to see how them guys fare up when they come to the tournament and what they can bring. I see. And how how often does this this tournament come around? Is it a four year one? Yeah, it's every four years. And and who are the holders of it? No, so the current winners uh, is Brazil, I believe, uh, ah. and then Spain is holding it. Right, and that's in Madrid from yeah, the Madrid, yeah. from uh, the fifth of this month to the eighteenth. Ah. I mean, what what's the what's the feeling in the in the camp? Do you think you can can do it? We we've got quite a, a good group, um, so we're hoping to get out the group stage and into the quarterfinals. And from the quarterfinals, it's how the ball rolls, really. Um, we are probably best prepared we've ever have been for a competition right. uh, in the terms of training. Um, so the, the blind squad, um, majority of us is on a centralised programme. Um, so we train together pretty much day in, day out. Um, 
and the rest of the boys are down south. And then there's one gentleman who comes into the um, centralised programme twice a month and trains with us. So we are literally kind of like peaking at the minute and just at the right time. So, so is this this a your your job? Is this your your career? Yeah, um, at the minute it is. Yeah. Um, so the football association um, funds our team to train and to play and to go off to competition. So we are uh, probably kind of like a semi-professional to a professional footballer standard. Wow. Okay. And I was going to say, do you do you you obviously play regularly, but do you play for? a team in a league is there a blind league yeah so we have a blind league at the minute the teams unfortunately there's only three teams in the league um because trying to get we're trying to get the participation from blind um people in england uh into football more because it's very unknown by many people not just sighted people yeah um so we're trying to increase the participation on that and yeah there's three teams i currently play for merseyside we've just finished our season um and then <clears throat> the season will start again around about October, November. Okay. I mean, you said you said there that um, there's uh, only the three teams. Yeah. How how can people can blind people? And sorry, I should say, is it predominantly blind or is it partially sighted as well? No, it's uh, my my version of football. What I play is predominantly blind people. So people that's got no vision to just light position, very little. Um, can see very little right um that's my kind of category if you like of football then or discipline probably would be a better word then you've got um people with visual impairment who can uh see kind of shadows to a lot more uh sight which is still classed as visually impaired and they're a different area of football so in our, our team it's it's very not very participated okay so how how can blind people participate how can they can they find a local club is there websites for that yeah um so they can go through the football association website where um there will be um obviously links to the certain areas to go into also each um county ha- have a football association who have a disability development officer and if they speak to the disability development officer um any of them can pass their information on or pass details on to them on the relevant people through the England setup or the grassroots setup to get involved and get in touch with. And explain to us about the game. I've seen highlights on, on the telly before. It's it's obviously a, a smaller pitch in relation to the, the 11 aside game. Um and the, the team sizes are are smaller. Give us give us an outline of of how the game works. Yeah, um, so it's basically broken down. It's five-a-side. Nice. Um, we have, uh, it's played on a five-a-side, um, like Astro or 3G, and we have boards down the long sides of the pitch to keep the ball in play. Yeah. However, the ball does sometimes go over the boards and then it becomes a kick-in rather than a throw-in, like sighted football. Right. Um, all the outfield players are completely blind and have to wear eye masks yeah. to ensure that there's a level playing field. The keepers can see. Okay. Um, so we have fully sighted keepers, and then behind each goal, we have a guide who will talk to the attacking players um, and should give them a bit of a, a reference point as where they are. Is this during play? During play, yeah. Okay. Um, also, from corners, the guide will give information on where the opposition are standing, 
best type of runs to do from their opinion. And then as a blind player, you will work with their advice uh, and obviously attack the goal. Um, we also have a manager on the halfway line who gives information to the middle third. Right. Uh, so as soon as the ball comes into his third, he can talk and give information, um, change tactics or formation if he has to, highlight any kind of things that aren't necessarily getting picked up immediately by the players. So if you, you say that there's um, team team members around the pitch giving you uh, advice or instructions, yeah. there's obviously the same on the opposing team. Yeah. Can that get confusing for, for example, say when you when you play um, Brazil, there's yeah. going to be a, a a Portuguese language on one side of the pitch. and uh, Does that get confusing? Um, well, it does. Only if you try and understand Portuguese when you can't speak it. Right. Uh, no, uh, so basically our, our uh, as being blind, our awareness is a lot more for listening is greater and mm. we listen more. So we kind of learn how to zone into certain voices. Right. Um, and we, we train to try and block out other noise. So we'll do a lot of like kind of training under under noise um, just to try and kind of get used to the conditions that it's going to be in a game. Okay, I see. Now, and you say about the the goalkeeper um, yeah. being sighted. Is that I, I've seen in in highlights where where it's gone? You had a um, I've forgotten what what the game was, but there was I saw there was a penalty shootout. Yeah, you lost in. Did you lose a final on the penalties? Yeah, typical England. <laughs> we lost. Uh, we, well, it was the semi-finals we lost last year. Was it the semis? We lost the semi-finals in 2015 in the Europeans <laughs> as well, also on finals. <laughs> There's a, a common theme there, isn't yeah. there? But um, when a penalty is taken, a guy goes around tapping the goalpost, doesn't he? That's correct, yeah. So when you've got a penalty, uh, penalty the, the guide will let you know where the middle of the goal is so you can line yourself up and then he will tap the post for you so you um, get your angles correct. And then you'll stand back behind in the centre of the goal, uh, behind the net, and shout. And then obviously the referee will blow the whistle, and you'll take it for a year penalty. Yeah, that was one of the things that I saw, and I was I didn't know how it worked, but now now you've explained that 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 kind of makes sense. And and the ball is is the ball got a a bell in it? Um, so the ball is uh, I think it's like size three or size four. Um, mm. I get confused in between which one it is, but basically in. Certain certain panels is replaced with like metal panels. Right. And inside the metal panels is ball bearing, so when it rolls, it makes a noise. Okay, and does that slow the ball down? Um, not the way we pass it about, no. <laughs> oh, right. Cool. The World Cup will be streamed live um, throughout the duration of the competition, and it'll be on YouTube and also on Facebook. So if you are interested and you're on Facebook or Twitter, if you go to um, Ipsa Blind Football, which is IBSA Blind Football, or just IBSA, it will have the links up on there, and it'd be really great to get some more following and uh, a bit more coverage from anybody out there who's listening. Well, I'll certainly uh, put some links to that up on our uh, Facebook and our Twitter pages. You yourself, you got you're on Twitter, aren't you? You open to, am, uh, to yeah. giving that out? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter. My Twitter name is Dan English GB Five. And there's also uh, at England Blind, isn't there? There the, is, yes. Yeah, is that's that... our squad uh, Twitter account. 
And who, other than yourself, who do we need to look out for on the England team? To be honest, all the boys at the minute are peaking and really firing. So, uh, Robin Williams and Roy Turnham are both deadly with the ball when attacking. We've got Brandon Coleman, who's just come in, who's a young lad, and he uh, is determined to make a name for himself on the world scene. So, he'll be a good one to watch out for. Um, we've got our uh, returning keeper, Dan James. He's going to be out of the competition, who always sets a good standard. And we've got Dylan Malpass, who's never played with us before in the World Cup, but he's been around the squad, played in the European Championships with us last year. Um, and he will definitely be uh, a keeper to look out for in the future because he's got a lot of potential, all them boys. Nice one. And who's the gaffer? Jonathan Pugh. Well, Dan, thank you very much for joining us. Wish you all the very best for the uh, the World Championships. Yeah, we'll we'll stay in touch and, and uh, we'll perhaps we'll have another conversation down the line. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Now, there was some sad news last month. On the same day as the squad was announced, the news came through that the 1966 World Cup winner, Ray Wilson, had passed away at the age of 83. He was the oldest player in that team that beat West Germany, aged 31, playing left-back, and he'd been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. He made 63 appearances for England. Sadly, didn't hit the net in that time. But to be honest, he didn't score many in his career playing for Huddersfield, won the FA Cup with Everton, played for Oldham and Bradford City in a 19-year period. His first cap came in 1960 in a one-all draw against Scotland and also played in the 1962 World Cup. Ray Wilson. There we have it, another roundup of all things Three Lions. Which incidentally, have you seen the England emoji? I should be too old for that sort of thing, but it looks great. Just hashtag three lions. See what comes up. Whilst you're at it, why not hashtag three lions podcast too with any of your correspondents. Love to hear your feedback on the podcast. Please do subscribe and feel free to leave a review. We'll talk again just before England's first game in the 2018 World Cup when there's a good chance I'll be bubbling over with excitement. And that's just at the thought of the BBC's theme music. Take care. I'll see you soon.